My name is Dr. Justin Alger, and this is the first six-episode premiere of the Future Future College Parent Podcast. Basically, we should tell students to apply to all the schools that you think you want to go to. Never leave anything out. Hello, future college parents, moms, dads, and any family member who's helping a student get to college. Welcome to the first six-episode premiere of the Future College Parent Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to arming parents like you, our original influencers, with free information and resources to help the next generation of students prepare, choose, and finance college. And by college, I mean any and all education after high school or equivalent. And by parent, I mean anyone helping a young human through schooling towards college. This show is predicated with the belief that anyone can access and pay for college that they want to and should start preparing as early as the sixth grade. I am your host, Dr. Justin Alger, but you can call me Justin. That voice you heard over the intro music is the guest of Episode 5, Miss Susan Tripp, Director of Financial Aid Emeritus from Herkimer College. Also appearing on the episode is Miss Deb Sutliff, Bursar Emeritus at Herkimer College as well. I had the absolute pleasure and honor to work directly with Deb and Sue at Herkimer College and saw firsthand the care and concern they provided to individual students, and it was just unparalleled. Their baseline was beyond the best that I've seen in my career and was simply a part of the fabric of who they are. Herkimer College agrees with me as they gave them emeritus status upon their recent retirement. Emeritus status essentially means even though they are no longer officially a part of the campus community, the campus still continues to claim them as part of the campus and community. Such an honor. And before they retired, I asked them to answer some questions for you. In case you're wondering just what a bursar and a director of financial aid is, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a bursar as an officer, as of a college in this case, in charge of funds. Essentially, the person or office on a traditional college campus responsible for collecting money from students to pay for college expenses. A director of financial aid is responsible for awarding financial aid to students in the form of grants, loans, and scholarships. Awards are packaged within the guidelines of federal aid programs in relationship to the cost of attendance and packaging protocols established by the institution. Those are some very important roles. I also want to mention to you that this episode will not cover all that is paying for college. I intend to have future episodes dedicated to this critical and complex topic. I hope you enjoy my interview with Deb and Sue. Deb and Sue, OMG, welcome to the Future College Parent Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with me on the show. This is the fifth episode in our six-episode premiere. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So first, if you could, and you can go in either order that you want, but if you can you please share your role and describe in what capacity you support students and parents through the college journey? All right, I can start. Um, so Justin, as the former bursar, who's still working a little bit part-time, my role has been in trying to make sure that students and families could understand the bill. So um, 
our office took an active role in trying to make sure that students were well aware of the costs associated with college, both for those uh, commuting students, as we are a community college, and for those who would be living on campus, because there is a wide discrepancy in terms of how much a family would have to pay if the student was commuting, you know, coming from the local area to drive up the hill to our campus, or if they were living in one of our campus housing facilities. Because in that case, if they were doing that, it would be much more like a four-year institution for a student who was coming from a distance away, um, say, to reside on campus. So we wanted to make sure that we had payment plans available, that we had very clear and accurate information on our website. Um, in non-COVID times, we gave a lot of in-person presentations at orientation events, open houses, registration nights or, or weekends where we had a presence always to make sure that families were very comfortable in knowing how they were going to pay their bill. That's fantastic. So so a bursar on campus is the person or the office that collects the bills. Correct. Well, good, Sue. My role is to make sure that students and families are aware of all the financial aid uh, programs that are available um, to them for to take care of any of the college costs. Um, you know, we we are stewards of tax dollar monies, so we have many compliance uh, regulations that we are under, and we want to expend everything that was offered to the institution to award to our students. So, you know, in our office, we do a lot of administrative work, but our other half, 50%, is making sure that families and students understand all the regulations and understand what aid is out there that's available to students. Um, and so the key is to help students, to help them with whatever we can that's available to them to offset college costs, which is not decreasing. It's it's rising and rising and, you know, uh, and, and, and funding is is there, but it is limited. So um, that information needs to go out so that they're prepared um, on how to take care of college costs. Okay, wonderful. Thanks for providing that overview. Can you share with us what is an important lesson or piece of advice about the transition from high school to college that you think all parents should know? You know, with high school, you know, parents were quite involved and believe it or not, probably did a lot of stuff for students. And when you enter college, you know, depending on what the, the government considers that person as an adult and um, expects a lot from the students and not, you know, ha actually having too much of what their parents um, do for them. So our responsibility is, is to make sure that students really understand a lot of the rules and regulations. Um, parents sometimes like to be helicopter parents, but the department doesn't sometimes allow the parents to be involved in certain those, you know, situations. So, you know, the, the, the kids have to step up and start learning and understanding. And a, a lot of 18 year olds, mom and dad did all of that stuff, you know. And so now this is our job to make sure that the students understand um, what types of aid that they're receiving, whether they're receiving a student loan, the repayment, so many rules and regulations that it can be very daunting uh, for them. And that's what we're here for. However, you know, staffing at every institution is limited um, based on the number of students that come in. A lot of things are done online. You know, at our institution, we are still very hands-on. Uh, we're known for our customer care um, in doing that. And I would always reach out, you know, tell, tell parents and students to reach out to the colleges, see if they can make the appointment. 
um, to come in and actually talk to someone uh, regarding all of their concerns. Um, it's not something that can be done for every parent, but that would be my wish to do that. And um, at Herkimer, whether the student attends here or not, you know, as a community college for our community, um, we do that for everyone, uh, whether you're planning on attending here now or not, we can give the same type of advice for them so that they're prepared um, on what they need to do. So you're, so you're suggesting that you'd prefer to interact with students when they're on campus, but have that learning take place about the college financial aid process prior to, prior to coming to campus? Absolutely. I mean, you know, financial aid can be very daunting, but we're here to make it simple. And, you know, the, the government in a, in a couple of years, they're going to actually simplify it even more. And they understand that as myself, as a first generation student, parent, my parents didn't speak English very well. Um, you know, it can be very daunting and you need someone to come and, you know, help them and guide them. And uh, I and and that that happened for me. I had older siblings that ha that helped me, but also the the you know the the financial aid office. It all depends on you know how well they're going to welcome you and explain all of that. And we do that here at Herkimer, um, and I think we do that very well. You know, when when parents and students leave our office or they say, "Oh, I understand it now," uh, that makes me feel good, and this is what I try to preach to our staff that we need to take the time to explain all the details or at least get to the, you know, to the direct points of, of um, what all of these processes are so they understand. I would echo a lot of what, what Sue said, certainly. It is a, a change, I think, a transition from high school to college and that students should, even if they're not thinking that they, they should, but they should start to take responsibility in terms of knowing the terms of financial aid, how they're going to pay their bill, and trying to get comfortable with, with that whole, um, I think, set of, of regulations in terms of uh, what's required from them. I think that if they become familiar, um, it's much less stressful. I also think that students in high school shouldn't be very quick to dismiss their home community college because that's certainly where they're going to find the best deal um, monetarily and financially for their family, but also in terms of thinking that the first two years of college are, are mainly spent trying to get a lot of the general classes out of the way. So taking an English one or taking something that's a, a, a general requirement is probably gonna be the same type of course they may take at a private college or at their uh, four-year college or university that they might be looking to get their baccalaureate degree from. So um, certainly give consideration to your local community college. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. The faculty are top notch. You know, that's another thing that Sue and I have found working here all these years is that you typically work with a very distinguished faculty at a community college level. You know, some have a lot of experience in their field. Um, you know, many are teaching full time, but many are teaching on an adjunct basis in addition to the jobs that they do most often in, in the field in which they're teaching. So I think sometimes students and families are, are quick to potentially dismiss their home community college, but I, I think that they should give a lot more thought and um, preparation into where they want to do their first two years of school. So Deb, your advice is to don't overlook your local community college. I think a lot of times, I think there's the perception that because the institution offers open enrollment, that the academic quality or the academic rigor is somehow may somehow be compromised. But you're suggesting that that's not necessarily the case. 
Um, and, and by the way, the, the logic behind open enrollment is to educate the public, and, it, and, it's, and it's for the public good. So. And then also your, your, your point was to make sure both of you suggested that you should take advantage of your local community college or your local college, the programs and services that they, that they provide, because you certainly provide services at Herkimer to help students, regardless of what institution they're, that they're going to attend, to help them understand and navigate this financial aid process. Coming, Justin, coming to a community college is a big savings under the financial aid, especially when a student at, you know, is undecided as far as what they want to do. And so they should check with your community college with very many articulation agreements with some of the other institutions where you know, your first two years, you can get your feet wet and you can get those courses all transferable to your four-year institution. So your savings is close to be at home. And then in case, you know, the at a community college, there's usually, you know, a whole bunch of different programs that the student can get there. They can try it out and so forth before they make that decision without having the higher cost at some of the other uh, universities to do that. Okay, so I'm going to shift gears and move into some expertise-focused questions. Deb, tell me, what is financial aid and how do students and parents file for financial aid? As I mentioned earlier, financial aid uh, packages actually consist of loans and grants. The process, even for a student who is only eligible for student loans, has to file that FAFSA. And again, that's the free application for federal student aid. It has to do that yearly. When they file that FAFSA, um, that will determine their eligibility for grants and or loans. And some of the common grant is the federal Pell Grant, P-E-L-L. Doing the FAFSA yearly will determine the student's eligibility for grants like the Pell Grant and for federal student loans, as well as campus-based aid, which is a limited amount of an allocation that a college gets, um, where we can distribute aid such as college work-study or another grant called Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grant, S-E-O-G for short. So those are the basic types of financial aid that a student would be eligible for under the FAFSA, filing the FAFSA. And again, that's a yearly process. Um, students may also be eligible for scholarships that come from their high schools or from their, um, you know, even doing some research in the area. I, I, another recommendation I would highly make is that a student um, in their junior year, probably in high school, would check with their local guidance offices in their high schools to see what scholarships may be available that they need to write a separate essay or do an application for. Sometimes places like the American Legion or the Rotary Club or a student's employer might have scholarships or a, uh, yeah, a student's family's employer might have scholarships eligible um, you know, for dependent children. And then many community colleges will have special scholarships for students who are at the top of their class. So for example, our, our college has a scholarship that would cover full tuition um, for a student in their first year if they graduate in the top 10% of their high school class. Or I'm sorry, the top 15%. We wanna edit that to the top 15% of their high school class. Um, and then in the second year, it would pay 50% of their tuition. Um, so. It's good to look in, into programs like that. Uh, students are enrolled at a college also. There may be more scholarship opportunities for their following years. So we have a process where a student could uh, apply through an application, a one-page application 
for scholarships in their second year and some that they could take with them to their baccalaureate college for their four-year degree. So things like that are all um, good things to keep in mind for students as they're navigating um, their billing and their financial aid. So when I apply for financial aid, I fill out the FAFSA, and then that information is populated at the, at the campus level, and that determines what type of loans and grants that someone is eligible for. That is correct, Justin. You know, that is specific for, you know, Herkimer and, of course, many other institutions. But for, in general, for the nation, you know, students really, you know, for, for where they want to plan on going, they need to first go to those colleges' websites, which have plenty of information out there regarding what they need to do to file for financial aid. So in, in general, the FAFSA, which stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid, is one that if a student would like to see if they're eligible for that federal Pell Grant, that is, that is the form to complete. And most schools use the FAFSA information to determine what institutional aid that may be awarded to the student, in addition to any loan eligibility that the student's going to receive, and any internal scholarships um, some schools may use that information that's on there to determine the type of scholarships, but there are other schools that may require their own institutional application on top of the FAFSA. And then there are certain schools that use the CSS profile form. Those are very limited, but that's the college scholarship service form. So it's very important, depending on where the student's going, that they need to do the research ahead to look on the college website, absolutely, you know, in admissions, I'm sure that they will say, you know, if you're filing for financial aid, these are the required forms for this institution. So a FAFSA may not be for every institution. So they need to do that research uh, ahead of time. So they their plan. I used to do um, and tell parents that put a little sheet of paper, you have, you know, six or seven schools you're thinking of, reach out to all those seven schools, go to their websites, Find out what the deadlines for every school. Every school may have a different deadline to for you to get your information in on time to be considered for everything available. You know, this is not unlimited funds. There are limited funds. So that's why you need to file early on what the deadlines are. Um, in addition, we've been talking about federal aid and institutional aid, but there's also state aid. Okay, so if you're a New York State resident, there's another avenue of financial aid that the student can apply for. And that's the, you know, New York State um, award payment application, which was called the, you know, the TAP application. So not every state has state aid. So what's, what's nice about New York, they do have one of their own. And that's part of the FAFSA, um, that they will give the student the uh, availability based on what they answer on what state they live in. Uh, a flag will come up, a question will come up to alert them to say, you know, you have the ability to file your New York State TAP application. And at the end of this app, of filling out this application, we'll take you to that link. So it's like a one stop. As long as the student sees it, they can click on that link and it will forward them right to the New York State TAP application for them to complete. And, you know, New York State has also many other scholarships that they offer. Uh, one of the newest ones, which is now going on four years old, is the Excelsior Scholarship um, that was um, out, um, that, that came about. And it was geared for a lot of our middle income families, which is really nice um, that they get a little bit of help 
uh, where they middle income families typically don't get, you know, a lot of financial aid, some, but this is geared for specifically for for that group of, of uh, families. So um, it's certainly something that, you know, they need to do to, to make sure that they've reached out to all different avenues um, when they're applying for college expenses. So as a, as a follow up, why is it that you think that that parents are apprehensive or they're they're nervous or they're excited about filling out the FAFSA? Is it because they have to enter in their tax information? Is it because they're they're afraid of of what the results might be? Why do you think that there why why do you think that there's this sort of stigma around filling out the FAFSA? I think it's because, you know, when someone it's it's like someone says, well, you got to do your tax return. Oh, I don't know how to do the tax return. It, you know, it has numbers and so forth. So they are they it's it's daunting for a lot of the questions that are being um, asked. And they're really not. The FAFSA now has, you know, has uh, checks and checks and balances as far as I'm not using. I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, not balances, but. You know, the the paper FAFSA, when I remember, had over a hundred questions and every question had to be answered. So yes, it could be daunting. All right, but now with everything is done online, based on the things that you answer, you're gonna skip 20 questions. And so, you know, a family may only be completing, instead of a hundred questions, they could only be completing now 30 questions. And soon in, you know, the year 23, 24, it's going to be as simple as less than 30 questions are going to be asked. So that would be in the year that I wish came this year that I think that it's going to make it a lot easier because the Department of Education realizes how it can be daunting and how how it can be intimidating for families to fill it out. So, yes, the information is requiring tax information because that is a big part of financial aid whether or not the family um, income can, you know, help with your own students going to college. I mean, I, I tell families all the time that when, you know, when you're coming to college, we're looking at what is you as a family, you know, you're, you're, very, you're the very first resource. What is you as a family going to help with your son and daughter going to college? We're here to supplement, but it, one comes from you first. And, it, and based on income information, the department may say, I don't expect anything from you, okay, because of your family situation, all right, that, that you know, you need what you're receiving to take care of just normal household duties and you're not able to help with those expenses. And that comes out from the FAFSA, okay. And many times family goes, well, where are they coming up with some of these figures or where they think that this is how, what we can help with? Well, this is a federal methodology that Congress has come up and every question on the FAFSA has a formula in there that what they were going to come out with as far as what they feel that a family can help with your son and daughter going to school. And they take everything into consideration, depending on even the state that you live in. You know, you can live in a state like New York that has high taxes and you can live in another state that doesn't have high taxes. So your family income is more protected or you have more availability to use. Um, you know, example I always say is household size. You know, a family can, can make exactly the same income as your neighbor. Okay, but if your household size is six and that household size is three, okay, the person that is a household size of three has more availability to help that student go to college where a household size of six, there is more of of that income to be used for living. 
okay, and so forth. So all of those things are factors, okay, your asset information. How many going to college? If you have three in your household going to college versus someone that's only one going to college, well, there's a difference. It's going to cost that family more, okay? So your financial aid changes uh, with doing that. So it, it, it has a lot of factors that go in there, okay, in doing that. And I think that there are some families that don't want to give that information out. Um, you know, regarding, you know, do I have to fill out your FAFSA? And that's part of the requirement. You know, the department needs to see that. They need to to come up with their um, um, their answers based on the federal methodology so that they know to be fair across the board on what they can offer students. And this is what we're here for, to make it more simpler, to explain it. They just need to make that part in doing the first step in trying to get to us to do that. And there are avenues, giving the college a call, going to your local high schools, look at when there's gonna be workshops. We work very closely with Herkimer guidance counselors here. They, they invite us to do workshops. We invite them up here. Uh, we invite all of our Herkimer guidance counselors to come up and then we, I'm invited in to tell them all the new and important things that are happening in financial aid because the high school students are typically going right to their high school guidance counselors. And so, you know, you have to have a good rapport with your guidance counselors because they're going to be the people that are going to advocate for our institution and other institutions, too. So we work very closely um, with them and uh, we appreciate them, you know, if they if they can answer. We sometimes we also do a little tutorial for them. So, you know, they so they know the basics of the FAFSA so they can answer the simpler questions. But we're always, always on a phone call away. I get calls all the time from guidance counselors say, Sue, you know, we have this special circumstance. How can you help us? And and we do that. Now, how how soon should should I file for financial aid? When is the when is the financial aid, the FAFSA form due? October one of every year is when it's available for students to file their FAFSA for the school year. So example for this October coming up and like our freshmen coming in starting in September, right? They're coming in in, a, in one month. They've only been here one month. The FAFSA is available for them to complete for their sophomore year. Now you go, wait, I just started school. I've only been in school, not even a few weeks. Okay, and now your FAFSA is available to apply for the following year because that income information is there. You want to get that information early because of limited funding. Okay, especially with any institutional money that's being offered to the student, as Deb mentioned, they're called campus-based aid. Okay, they're limited. And so if you file very late, you may have qualified for that aid, but the funds have already been distributed. We don't want to keep anything, right? We want to use all the money that's given to us to give to our students. So it is important that they file early. And this is the opportunity that they can file almost a year early for their for the for that year. Wonderful. So file starting October 1st and as soon as possible. And then check your institution's specific financial aid process because there may be an application that you need to to file at the at the institution level as well. Correct. So Sue, once once I've filled out the FAFSA, I'm coming to to Herkimer and I get a financial aid letter. What does that look like? What are the key terms? What am I looking at when I'm looking at a financial aid letter? So when you receive a financial aid letter and a Herkimer, we try to send our award notice, okay, sometime in April, okay? We normally start doing that at that point. That also means that the student has 
um, gone through anything that the institution may have requested from the student. Okay, so filling out a FAFSA is great. You have all your information in. Information may go out to the student. Okay, again, it goes to the student. All right, and the student will, you know, will, will be um, asked to turn in certain things to us. And that's why it's very important that they shouldn't delay it and keep it on the dresser and just ignore it because it's holding back their financial aid package until that information is provided so that we can verify. Everything works smoothly, no corrections need to be made, then an award notice will go out to the student. And again, at Herkimer, it's usually, we started around April um, in doing that. As part of the, the financing plan, it will tell you what the cost is to attend our institution. And that will be different for every school, of course, right? So it will it will give you the breakdown of tuition, fees, room, board, all of those would be representative there. It is important for the family to realize that this is not the bill. This is an estimated cost of attendance for the student. Okay, this is an average. Of course, we know where our tuition is, but you know, again, if you're living in housing, if you live in a single apartment or you're sharing an apartment, a double room, a triple room, it's gonna be a different cost, okay? That's where the actual billing part on student accounts will show the actual cost. But on the award letter, it's an average. It's giving you a, a total. And expenses include, on your award letter, it will have direct expenses and also indirect expenses. What's the diff difference? Direct expenses is typically what shows on your bill. Indirect expenses are typically things that a student will have costs with, but we're not billing them for them. So for example, transportation costs, personal expenses that they need to buy, toiletries and so forth. Those are indirect costs for the student, but they will incur it and those are part of the cost of attendance. What you as student can receive financial aid for, because that's the total. Along with the student award letter, it will then show what awards the student is eligible for. Some of the awards are given to the student. Some of the awards are going to be offered to the student and the student needs to respond. Typically, awards that are given to the student are the federal Pell Grants. So grants, you want to see grants as much as possible on your awards. You want to see scholarships as much as possible on your awards because that is not a payback. That's a given given to you Okay, in doing that. All right. So, you know, federal Pell Grant, New York State TAP Grant, the Supplementary Education Opportunity Grant. Yay. Those are all good if you have them. OK. And based on the college policy of what aid they have, it will be different for every school because every school has a different pot of money that they can award to the student. The federal Pell Grant is the same across the board, whether you attend a college that costs $60,000 a year, whether you have a school that costs $15,000 a year, your Pell Grant is across the board the same, okay? So uh, New York State TAP, all right, which stands for Tuition Assistance Program, that can be different because it's based on tuition. My tuition is different from Syracuse University's tuition, okay, and so forth. So that could be different. In addition to any of those grants, if a student qualifies for the federal work-study program, that's where the student actually works on campus, some have work off campus, and it is a financial aid program that you have to have financial need for, which is all determined by the college's policy. That will also be on their award letter. They have to understand that work-study earnings that the student can earn throughout their school year is not there to pay for any direct costs. Remember I talked about that, the, the tuition, the billing, 
those things are direct costs. This is more for those for the students in direct costs, for those other expenses, personal expenses, travel expenses, and so forth. All right, doing that. And then lastly, scholarships are listed there if the student was awarded any scholarships and loans. Okay, and you know the word loan. I hopefully, you know, students know a loan is something that they will need to repay back. And it is a financial aid program um, and it will be offered to the student. And there are limits on what a student can borrow and whatever they're eligible for would be offered to the student. And when I say offered, that means the student has to um, um, accept if they want to borrow. And of course, you know, they certainly don't need to borrow. Um, they certainly can borrow less than what's being offered to them, but they typically can't ask more than what was already offered because the institution is already offering them their, their limit of what they can borrow. So, and then of course, um, even with all the aid that they're eligible for, they need to realize what it would cost to attend that school, what the aid that they're receiving. It's, it's sort of like simple math, okay? It costs this much to attend, this is the aid that I'm receiving. You, you do the subtraction and there, there's still a bottom line that's positive. That's something where the family needs to make up for that. Okay, make up for that amount. They can take out a parent loan. They can look at other options that are available to take to offray those expenses. But they need to remember that indirect costs are involved in there. So it's really not the bill. And that's where they need to talk with our office, talk to student accounts to say, really, what is the bottom line of what I owe? Because that's just an average. The financial aid award letter is really a listing of all the direct costs, which are tuition and fees, right? Maybe housing charges as well. Indirect costs, which are costs that you, uh, uh, transportation if you live off campus, um, meals, right? These type of things. And then it also on the other side lists the, the awards that you're able to, or that you're given, those are the grants, right? And potentially the scholarships from the, from the institution level. And then also lists the, the loans that you are able to to take out to borrow should you need and then if there's a bottom line that's that's funds that the the family or the student will have to come up with in order to uh, to uh, settle their bill in Deb's office so Sue what are some of the common mistakes that you see students and parents make related to their financial aid packages um, well, the most common is when parents fill out their application for their student and they end up putting, uh, you know, the, the parent as the student, which can cause a lot of issues in, in, in doing that. Um, another common mistake is many students think that um, they don't need to provide parental information and the Department of Education has their rules of whether or not family information needs to be provided, a mom, a dad, or just a dad if the parents are divorced and so forth. Um, so a lot of a lot of times, you know, your the, the FAFSA application would come in rejected or needs more clarification in doing that. So again, that's where you know they need to contact the school to uh, clear that all that information in. Another time, another another thing that they ask um, times is, you know, they. The, because they're looking back two years, you know, families would say, well, you know, why are you asking two years ago where right now 
you know, I'm especially with, you know, our, our pandemic and so forth with COVID that, you know, I, 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 I don't make that money anymore. You know, I've lost my job or I've gotten a divorce or someone passed away or I'm retired now. And so those are, it's not a done deal. Those are absolutely where a college professional can do a professional judgment call and, you know, and revise and look at more current data. Because again, as I mentioned, you know, the whole point of filling out the FAFSA is to verify information. So they always look at a tax refer tax return, thinking that the income that was being reported is going to be the income while your student and son are coming to college. And when there isn't that, that um, there's a big discrepancy, we can we can uh, make those changes. Um, again, another thing is that um, families think that they can file you know, their application two or three days or a week or two weeks before school begins. And we will have that information all set. No, it takes time um, to look that information over. They need to file early to do that um, um, so that we can give everything that's available to the student. And again, when they file very late, um, they can be missing um, out on that. Um, we've had many students, especially at a community college, thinking that student loans are not a financial aid uh, award. And absolutely, it is a financial aid award because, you know, if you typically go to a bank, how many banks are going to lend to a 17, 18 or 19 year old money? OK, so this is where the FAFSA will determine um, the type of loan that the student qualified for. And again, it's based on the family's income, but they're absolutely eligible for a loan. They don't expect um, them to have a job prior to that before a loan is given. So this is this is this is a great opportunity for students to use that, but they need to be absolutely sure that they know that they're borrowing every year. It will increase, and you know, just as an FYI, you know, at any state-operated campus, after four years, you know, the typical loan if they borrow every year, they're looking at about twenty-eight thousand dollars in being in debt. You know, so they need to, to, to really look at their award note letters. They need to make sure that what they're borrowing, that they're able to repay that loan back. And of course, there will be information for the student to learn all about their loans and their repayments. So a lot of those types of errors are at the beginning where students think they're independent and they're not independent. Um, filing, you know, a couple of days before school begins, knowing that they're going to have information that doesn't happen. Um, there are students that are, they know that they're very needy um, and they'll they'll sometimes, you know, in all the years I've heard, it says, well, we're very needy. I'm going to get full financial aid because we're very needy. And I said, yes, you are very needy, but there is not enough aid out there uh, for institutions to give you enough aid to cover all your expenses. They're limited. We'd love to do that. OK, so they need to do and plan accordingly. And this is where this is where they need to look at colleges and their costs look at their award notice, look at how much still needs to be fulfilled to take care of those costs, look at everything they've applied for and those decisions that they're trying to make, whether it's going to be, you know, whether or not they're able to afford um, that institution. Wonderful. Thank you. Maybe, Deb, you can start us off on this one. Can you tell me what role should financial aid play in a student's decision to apply to a school versus another school? I think that would probably be at the discretion of the family, you know, as they're as they're having the discussion as to what can they reasonably afford for their son or daughter. 
So I think if a family is very needy and they haven't been able to put any money aside um, until they start the, the application process and the financial aid process, financial aid will indeed play a huge role in, in, you know, in contributing to the decision for that student in year one and year two especially. So again, I think it does come down to you know, the family's um, income uh, and, and ability to pay. Sue, I know you have some thoughts to share. Basically, you know, when, you're, when a student is looking at colleges, the, the key is, is what do they want? What do they want to pursue? You know, and again, a lot of 18 year olds don't know what they want to pursue. But if you have students that say, you know, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a doctor, I want to be an accountant, you know, and, you know, basically we should tell students to apply to all the schools that you think you want to go to. Never leave anything out. If a student is saying that I just want to be a teacher, you could go to a school that has a teaching degree that may cost. $50,000 a year and you can go to a school that also has a teaching degree with a with a you know um, that has a good reputation that will cost $25,000 a year you know so you have to kind of weigh that and do that just not pick one you got to get choices that are out there and that's what we tell with the FAFSA application when they file the FAFSA you can list as many colleges as you want on the form so your information is set to all of these schools and that's the whole reason why you file early so that those decisions can be made early the award packages can be made to, to be looked at and this is where you know the family can sit down with the student and make those important decisions so as far as the application financial aid shouldn't necessarily impact the decision to apply to a, a institution versus another institution but when you when it comes down to the decision making of which school to attend, then that's when we're really going to take a look at our finances. What school has has a has the has the fit has a has a good fit for us, or excuse me, a good fit for the student, depending on a variety of factors, including the major. The students should be looking at the financial aid after they've applied to the institution to to make that decision. And there are many schools that will send out a financial aid package even before they're actually accepted. They will do that too, to say, you know, if you plan on attending here, this is what we can offer to you. So sometimes that makes a decision of whether a student plans on attending or not. And that there are certain schools that do that. And don't let the sticker price or the, the posted price deter what? you from absolutely. applying for schools. Right, too. absolutely. They might try yes. to entice them with a better mm -hmm. financial aid package. But, but state colleges and can't do that, unfortunately. But we're lower cost. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the questions that's all the questions that I have for you. I just it really means a lot to me that that you have taken your time to come and be guest number five of our first six episode premiere of the Future College Parent Podcast. I again want to wish you the the only the best in your retirement. And thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you. Do you see what I mean? Such care and concern for students, and boy, do they know their stuff. I'll give them emeritus status on the show and in my heart. Aww. Now, I know there's more than I can imagine to discuss here, and I want to share with you five things I learned from my talk with Deb and Sue. Number one, begin to learn about the financial aid process with your student prior to attending college. 
This will make the process much less stressful when it's time to actually apply for financial aid. There is a wealth of resources available, including your high school guidance counselor, admissions representatives that visit your high school, or contact your local community college bursar and financial aid offices to learn more about financial aid programs and workshops they may provide. They may also have staff and services available to help you navigate the process. Number two, don't be quick to dismiss your local community college. There are potential monetary savings. There are similar general education courses offered in the first two years at both community college and four-year institutions. And some of the community college faculty may even work in the field in which they are teaching. And number three, to apply for federal financial aid, students must fill out the FAFSA, or Free Application for Federal Student Aid annually. This means every year a student is attending or considering attending a college. Filling the FAFSA will determine a student's eligibility for grants, loans, and work study. Individual states may offer financial aid as well. Please visit your state education department website to see if your state offers financial aid. Number four, after a student completes the FAFSA and supplies any supplemental information required by a respective campus in a timely fashion, the campus will send the student a financial aid award letter. Some awards are given to the student, such as grants and scholarships. Grants and scholarships generally don't need to be repaid. Some awards are offered to the students, such as loans. There are limits to how much a student can borrow. Also, students can borrow less than what they are offered. If there is a difference between how much financial aid is offered and the cost of attendance, it's up to the student and their family to determine how to pay this expense. Number five, there is a difference between the financial aid award package and the bill a student receives from a respective campus. The financial aid package is based on an average cost of items such as room and board and indirect costs. The bill reflects actual costs charged to the student. What did you learn? Here's some more homework. I promise it's not that hard. Please head to futurecollegeparent.com where you can access the Future College Parent Network and post what you learned by listening to this episode and engage with other listeners so we can learn together. Also at futurecollegeparent.com, you can access the show notes for a wealth of information on the items we discussed during the episode and check out all of our social platforms. While you're at it, please share the podcast widely to other parents, leaders of activities your student is involved in, and your school administrators so they can share it with your school district. You also can let parents know that the show is streaming directly from the website and there's no need to download anything. Just point your browser to futurecollegeparent.com and enjoy. The show is also on your favorite podcast platforms as well. I want to thank Miss Deb Sutliff and Miss Sue Tripp for coming on the show. I also want to congratulate them on their retirement and wish them well. I hope you'll join me for episode six, the finale of the first six episode premiere of the Future College Parent Podcast with Dr. Mike McDonald, superintendent of my high school alma mater, Walton Central School District. After listening to the premiere, be on the lookout for new episodes beginning on Wednesday, May 4th, and continuing Wednesdays every two weeks after. Thanks for listening to the Future College Parent Podcast.